as you saw in the video, uh, John 21 is really an epilogue uh, to this testimony of Jesus' life that's written by the Apostle John. And it leaves us with this challenge. John leaves us with this challenge. Now that you've heard and you've believed, how are you going to live differently? Will you take the message of Jesus into the world? And will you accept the cost of the calling that Jesus places upon you? Now, this is really one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite stories, but this is one of my favorite, favorite ones. And I'm excited to share it with you today because it happens on a beach. Uh, it's a place we now call Tubga. And I've been to that beach twice. Last time I was there, I fell and grazed myself uh, quite badly. And I couldn't get into the Dead Sea because of that. But I promise you that um, any Durban beach would beat hands down that beach for beauty and bathing pleasure. It's a picture of it on the screen. But what's far more important about that beach is, is not how it looks and how beautiful it is, or not so beautiful. But that on that beach happened one of the most beautiful, profound stories of friendship, of forgiveness, and of a fresh start. I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience where you've really, really let somebody down. And maybe you know that person, you think, I'm sure they will forgive me, I'm sure they've forgiven me. Maybe you sent them a, a WhatsApp and you said, I'm really so sorry, and they sent you a thumbs up, or it's okay. And you thought, I think it's okay, but I'm not sure. You haven't had a chance to talk, you haven't had a, a, a face-to-face, and you really wish you knew if it was okay. It sort of hangs there. You know that feeling? You want to break the ice? I think that's how Peter was feeling after the crucifixion of Jesus. Three times he denied that he knew Jesus. He told Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. But then the moment of testing came. The pressure was on him, and he did it. Everybody who questioned him, he said, I swear, I don't know that man. And Luke's gospel tells us that When Peter had denied Jesus three times, the rooster began to crow. And then Jesus turned and looked at him, and he ran out into the night weeping. And we don't see Peter again for quite a while. He's not in in the other trials. He's not at the cross. He's not at at the burial of Jesus. I think he's hiding somewhere, very ashamed of himself. Probably the next thing, somebody brings him a message, Peter, Jesus is on the cross. Then Jesus is dead, and it's too late. Can't make right. Can you imagine that sort of horrible, horrible feeling that you would have when you know that the very last words your very best friend in the whole world heard you say was, I swear, I don't know him. In that moment of when he's about to die, I just... Imagining myself in that place, and I thought, you know what, I think I'd I'd probably vomit from stress, repeatedly. Horrible, horrible, sickening feeling. And and there's Peter with this massive weight on him, feeling like so badly, wishing he could make right. And then, on the first day of the week, a few days later, Mary Magdalene comes running and she says to him, Peter, John, Jesus is alive. And he gets up and he runs as fast as he can to the tomb. Just desperately want to make, wants to make right. Just wants to see Jesus, but Jesus is not there. 
just sees a grave, just sees empty grave clothes, no Jesus. Sometime around then, Mary Magdalene walks out. She sees Jesus. She talks to him. She even touches him. But not Peter. He's left out. And then that afternoon, two of the disciples come running back. They say, we were walking to Emmaus, and Jesus met us on the road, and we had this amazing conversation with him. We, we even ate with him. But not Peter. He wasn't there. And then a whole week, so that evening, uh, Jesus appears again. All the disciples are there. Peter sees him, but he doesn't get him alone. He can't talk to him. A whole week goes by. And Jesus comes again, and he talks to Thomas like he doesn't even see Peter. And there it is, that horrible feeling still there. Peter's disheartened. He's got this unfinished business that's eating him up, and, and he kind of gives up. He says, you know what? I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going to walk the three, four days back up to Galilee. Going back fishing to my old job, and some of the disciples say, let's come with you, and, and they head off. They leave Jerusalem behind, and they go back to that old job that they're familiar with, that they used to do before they ever met Jesus. And John 21 says from verse 2, that Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples were together. And Peter said, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now I wonder if you've been there. If you, you've been in a place, or maybe you're in this place now, where you're disheartened, you're disillusioned, you're feeling um, uh, that the world and, and all your expectations have fallen apart, and you've tried to go back to what you know, and even that doesn't work, and God is far away. Well, John tells us that early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize it was Jesus, and he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And they did. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. Now, I'm not sure if Peter could swim. Maybe the boat says the boat wasn't too far from the shore. But you can't miss the passion, can you? Peter leaves his boat there. He says, the rest of you bring the boat in. I don't care about the fish. I'm going to Jesus because I've got to make something right. And then it says, verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat and they were towing this net full of fish. They were not too far from the shore, about 100 yards when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. They counted them. But even so, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So Jesus took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I think there are a few things going on here in this story. The first is, what's obvious, is Jesus has now appeared for the third time. It's another proof of his resurrection. They've all seen him. They've eaten with him again. There's another important thing that's going on, and that is that, as the video said to us, he's showing them, you need to focus on me, you need to listen to me, you can fish all night, you can, you can do whatever you like, but if you're listening, if you're not listening for me, you're going to be unsuccessful. 
You need to listen for my voice. You need to obey it. But as I read the Bible, I see something else which I think is much more important here. And that is that this is another one of those deja vu stories. You see, almost exactly the same thing happened on the very first day that Jesus called Peter to be his disciple. Luke chapter 5 tells us that story. I want to read that. It says from verse 4, when, they'd finished, when he'd finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astounded, astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Again, I want you to picture this, this story. This is about two or three years before the story we read from John. They've just caught this massive, massive number of fish, so many that the two boats are kind of sinking. And Jesus says to them, leave it behind. Leave it on the beach. Come and follow me. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And they do. They leave it for somebody else. That was the day that Peter traded in his fishing business for kingdom business. And what an exciting day it was. It, it was the beginning of this whirlwind of exciting new learnings and experiences and miracles that were going to start crowds and healings and so much to learn. But now we fast forward a few years to this day. And Peter's lost all his fire. Beaten out of him by tragedy, by fear, by the reality of his own inadequacies that he's seen. He's no longer this young, optimistic, naive Peter who says, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. No, this Peter has tasted disappointment, loss, personal failure. And he's gone back to what he knew before, the safe and easy life. And again, I wonder if you're there. I've been there. Maybe that's where you are now, facing failure. And facing failure is part of growing up. But Jesus doesn't want us to stay in a place of defeatedness. And he wasn't going to let Peter stay there either. So he pitches up on the beach that morning. And he does something again that he's done years before. Something that was very, very pivotal in Peter's own journey. And it has the same meaning. Peter, I can produce hundreds of fish. I can fill your nets and your boats. But I didn't call you for that. I called you to bring people into my kingdom and to bring salvation and healing and deliverance, not to catch fish. And now I want you back. And so as they end this meal on the beach together as the disciples, finally, finally, Peter gets a chance to be alone with Jesus and have that heart-to-heart conversation that he's been longing for. Verse 15 says, When they'd finished eating, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter, more than these fish? Do you love me more than the safe and easy life that you used to be accustomed to? Do you? Then feed my lambs. Do what I've called you to do. Take care of my people. You know, three times in, 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 in that, that trial, Peter had denied that he knew Jesus. And now three times Jesus says to him, do you love me? Maybe there's a connection. There may well be. But there's also something we don't see quite as easily here, and that's a very interesting interplay of words that we lose in our English translation. And I'd like to just go into them in the Greek and try and help you understand them. In the, in, in the Greek language, we have at least four words for love. We translate them in English all as love. But in Greek, they have slightly different meanings. And here in this passage, we find two of those words. We find the word agape and the word phileo. And agape is unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. Phileo means affectionate friendship, love of a friend, of a brother. And Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me fully, unconditionally? Will you lay down your life for me? And Peter replies, yes, Lord. You know that I phileo you. I love you with a warm and affectionate friendship. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. It's like Peter can't bring himself to commit fully. Not to selfless, unconditional love. And this is a different Peter to the Peter we knew before. That Peter always spoke before he thought. He said, yes, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. Quick to promise and not deliver. This is the Peter who knows himself better. He's not so cocky. He's not so self-important. He's hesitant. Is that okay? Is it okay to come empty and broken and hesitant? Can God use us when we like that? Then the third time, Jesus asks the question differently. He says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you love me with the affection of a friend? Jesus kind of gets him, and he can come down, and he can say, okay, I, I get what you can commit to, Peter. And now Peter's a bit hurt, but he, he answers, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And I think it's precisely the fact that Peter is wounded that enables him to be a shepherd to Jesus' sheep. 
You see, when we see ourselves as whole, as independent, as having it all together, as brave, we don't have that much to offer in the kingdom of God. But finally, Peter got past that and he saw himself honestly who he was. That's when Jesus could trust him with the brokenness of other people. I was thinking yesterday about Freedom Day. The Bible says the truth sets you free. When we know ourselves, we know who we are and we know who Jesus is that sets us free. And Jesus says, now, I want you to feed my sheep, Peter. And then Jesus says something else to him. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him again, follow me. See, maybe the best that Peter could do was to commit to phileo. Agape was too much. But in the end, Jesus knew he would find agape. You see, Peter became the leader of the church, first in Jerusalem, later in Rome. And in the end, his love for Jesus led him to his death. In AD 64, the despotic Roman emperor Nero, who we still remember, sentenced him to death, along with a lot of other Christians in Rome. And he was crucified in the same way Jesus had been crucified, except that Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. And so for all of us who've believed in Jesus, for all of us who have, as as John's gospel says, received the gift of eternal life, and especially for those of us who've been honest to see ourselves, hopefully, in some small measure as we truly are, weak and broken, the story presents really three things for us to consider. Three questions that Jesus asks me. He asks us to make a commitment. He asks us to accept a calling from him. And he asks us to accept a cost that we will need to pay. So when he says to us as people, as believers, do you love me? Consider carefully how you answer because there's more to follow. When we sing these songs about loving Jesus, do we know what it means? Are we just caught up in the moment or is in our hearts, is there a desperation to make right, to be reconciled, to be healed? And do we know what kind of love we can offer? Is it that kind of love which says, I think this church and these people and this music and this little inspirational talk are so very cool, Jesus. I love it. just love this place. Home ground, what a great place to eat. Nice facilities. I, I guess that must mean I love you. But I suppose if this all disappeared, so would I. Cupboard love, I guess. Is it? Is it? Let's be honest with ourselves. Is that our love? Is it maybe phileo? You know, Jesus, I feel warm. I feel close to you. I really care about you. I really care about what you want. I really want to be right with you. But that's about as far as I can go right now. Is it agape? Jesus, I will really lay down my life for you. I really, really will. I will risk everything. I will give 
everything you ask. There's nothing I withhold. There's no thoughts, no attitudes, no possessions, no relationships. You are my everything. If we say we love Jesus, he's always going to ask more of us. He's going to place a calling before us. He's going to challenge us to accept it. To Peter, he says, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then feed my sheep. What's he saying to you? What is that thing that God is saying to you, he's set aside for you to do in the way that only you can do it? Who are the people that only you can bring into the kingdom of God? Only you. Have the courage to talk to them about Jesus. What are the places of influence that you have, perhaps that only you have, that can be used to extend God's kingdom, God's reign, His influence in the world? Have the courage to use them. What are the skills, what are the abilities that He's blessed you with? Let Him use them in you extraordinarily. Will you give them to Him as an offering? What calling has He given to you? And I I want to challenge you not to listen to me but to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God who's speaking to you, and I know He's speaking to you. If you say, Jesus, I love you, will you accept the calling by faith? Will you say, Jesus, yes, I accept your commission for my life, I accept your purpose for my life as much as I can see it, as much as you will show me. And if you will, there will be a cost. And if you don't feel that cost today or if you don't feel that cost tomorrow, I need you to know that the time will come when you will feel it. For Peter and for almost all the apostles, saying yes to Jesus, saying I love you, Jesus, cost them their lives. If you say yes to Jesus, it may mean saying no to something else, maybe a job opportunity or promotion, maybe saying no to friends or family and the the sense of obligation. Maybe it means a loss of reputation or of income, or of safety nets, or of your life. Invariably saying yes to Jesus, saying yes, I love you, Jesus, will mean the loss of some attitudes, some comforts, some pride, the denial of some of your desires, your hopes, even your dreams. It will sometimes mean emotional pain. It may even mean physical pain. When we commit to Jesus, we are always called to some purpose, and there will always be personal cost. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said in John 16, when he was with the disciples on that last night, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's right, in this world, we will have trouble. If we say, yes, Jesus, I love you, we will probably have more trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then there's a beautiful piece of the story at the end which shows the realness of the struggle of Peter. And I think it's true for us too. Jesus, he's just told Jesus, Jesus, I phileo you. Uh, Jesus, that's all the love I can give you. That's what I can commit to. I can't commit to agape. And Jesus seems to come down to that level and say, okay, Peter, that's okay. But then he tells him what he's afraid of anyway, about the way he's going to die. And Peter obviously gets it, understands what Jesus is saying. And he turns around at that moment and he sees somebody else who's following behind them. It's John. 
He's walking behind them on the beach, and he says to Jesus, but what about him? What about him, Jesus? Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. How often do we want to turn and look at somebody else and say, but Jesus, what about that person? Are you going to ask them to do the same thing as me? Will they carry the same cost? Why do things seem better for them? And Jesus says simply, don't worry about them. You follow me. How often does our faith waver when a Christian leader that we admire falls in some way? Twelve years ago in, in this church, when, when there was leadership failure in this church, there were people who went to other churches who stopped going to church altogether. Some even turned away from Jesus and said, I can't follow him anymore. It wasn't unusual. It always happens when leaders fail in some way, like Peter failed, the leader of the church. But all of us need to stop looking around, stop comparing ourselves to somebody else, saying my faith depends on that person's faith, what somebody else does do or doesn't do, what somebody else gets away with. We need to stop benchmarking our commitment to Jesus by the commitment of others. Now, Jesus says he has his own journey to take. That person, she has her own journey to take. It's not your journey. You follow me. So verse 22, Jesus says, If I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So we come to the end of the Gospel of John. But it's not the end of our journey of discipleship. And Jesus still asks us these three questions. Do you love me? Will you follow my calling? Will you count the cost? So just to bow your heads with me as we come to a time of prayer, and I want to, again, ask you to consider these three questions. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Do you love me? And what kind of love is it? that you can give me. Let's just be real with, with Jesus right now. Will you offer the love that you have, as flawed and as broken as it is, will you offer it to him? And if you will, I want you to just say this after me. You can say it out loud or under your breath. Jesus, I love you. It's an imperfect love so much less than the love you have for me. But I give it anyway. And then he asks us, will you follow my calling? What is the Holy Spirit pressing onto your heart right now? What has the Spirit been saying to you? Will you obey it? Will you obey that, that calling? And if you hear nothing, 
If you've heard nothing, will you keep on listening until you do? And will you follow? And if you want to say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you, I want you to say this after me. Jesus, I will trust you with my life, with my time, with my energy. I give all these things to you. And I will do the things you ask me to do with the strength that you give me. And then finally, Jesus says, will you count the cost? He wants to do something extraordinary with your life. He wants the things you do to count for eternity. Like those words George spoke to us earlier, I want everything I do today to count for eternity. But there's a cost to it. And if you're willing to bear that cost, I want you to say this. Jesus, I realize that following you will cost me something. When that time comes, will you make me strong enough to bear it with grace? And may I know your presence and your peace through hard times.